everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Inking of Immunity podcast. My name is Mike and I will be your solo host today. Chris and Becky will not be joining us, but that's okay because we have two really great guests. Today we're talking to Sophie Brower and Yitzki Kramer from the documentary Patterns of Life, which aims to shed light on some of the planet's oldest tattoo practices and translate the ancient language of the skin into modern understandings. Yitzki is a corporate anthropologist who travels all over the world to learn from traditional healers, leaders, surprising innovators, and random passersby. Yitzki has a strong focus on diversity and inclusion, and she wants to make sure that we listen to all voices and use the wisdom of a minority. Sophie is the co-founder of Patterns of Life, and she believes that the power of video is inescapable. Uh, She uses visual anthropology to allow us to document indigenous perspectives in the most personal form of storytelling. So welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having us. So uh, before we get into some of the nitty gritty, I I wanted to just ask, uh, and maybe Sophie can start with this one and Yitzke can come in. How did this project come about? Yeah, so I'm an anthropologist and I have an endless curiosity in different cultures and people around the globe. And five years ago, I met Michael Zomer. He's my boyfriend and he's a professional filmmaker. And he already made one short documentary in Myanmar. And I looked at it and I said, dude, you're an anthropologist. This This looks so cool. But he didn't even know what an anthropologist was. Um, well, he is an anthropologist, <laughs> but he didn't know he was. So, uh, yeah, I said, let's combine passions and we can get deeper stories and more personal stories. Uh, so it was basically just a dream and we hopped into the field and it became a very big project. We just followed the curiosity and it all came step by step. It grew bigger and bigger. That's great. I find most curious people are anthropologists, whether they know it or not. So I I like how you put that. And Yitzki, as a corporate anthropologist, what is your role in this project? How did you how did you come to join the team? Well, maybe just just a quick uh, few sentences around what is a corporate anthropologist, because there are not many of us. (laughs) So. so by, by trade, I'm a, I'm a social anthropologist and my specialization was theater anthropology. So, so I actually did research around theater for development in Uganda. And then I started working within organizations as a trainer coach and then starting to apply the knowledge and skills of anthropology when it comes to organizational cultures. And if you call yourself a social anthropologist within the corporate world, they just look at you like, yeah, what? But if you call yourself a corporate anthropologist, they're like, what's that? So I like the name where I apply the, the knowledge and skills of anthropology into the business world, basically walking into an organization as if it's a village uh, and try to understand where's the chief, what's the rituals and all that. So that's that's the field of corporate anthropology. And, and from that field, I started writing books around how do you shape those cultures? How can you do it differently? How do you go around decision making? How do you make sure you listen to all voices? also the minority voices. And um, and I think basically it came around that Sophie got to read one of those books and started following me on, on socials. And then at one point I did some research in Togo with a voodoo priest 
And at, at that point, I said, this is really cool. I'm back into the roots of anthropology. And I thought, well, how great would it be if I could be part of that and make documentaries? So that's my thought on the plane back home. And I got back home and there was an email of Sophie saying, hey, would you like to join our project? And I said, yes. I love that. What was the book that connected you to? Yeah, actually, I read several books of her, but I really loved uh, Building Tribes and the Corporate Tribe. It's about like getting the wisdom of different cultures around the globe back into organizations and that basically every human problem we already faced in the last 50,000 years. So we actually don't have to look much into new things. We only have to look back into our history and how different cultures and people around the world solved problems earlier. And that's what she does. And I really love how she's bridging the gap between faraway cultures and into the modern world and how we can learn from that. So when I read her books and saw her talks, I I really felt like these perspectives is exactly what we want to add in our documentary because Patterns of Life is really about the local people themselves telling their story. But for the modern Western viewer, we felt like it's necessary to have someone in between to bridge that gap and to make certain explanations because these people they are so far in their own story that sometimes they don't tell everything because they are just living it and this is how we thought like yeah Jeske is the perfect uh, host and anthropologist to hop in there to translate that basically well, I, I think it's I think it's really great that you teamed up with anthropologists like Yitsky, and uh, I noticed you have some other anthropologists that you work with as as hosts for the show. Could you name them and maybe tell a little bit about them as well? Yeah, so we started uh, with Lars Krutek. Uh, so I will I will go let a little bit back how we started Patterns of Life. So when we followed our curiosity, we just had a strong feeling that we want to connect with people who live far away in jungles and mountain areas and and living more in connection to nature um, and not living the real modern life still. So this is how we ended up in Mentawai, West Sumatra. Uh, we actually, by that moment, we didn't have a clue what we were going to capture yet. We just had this strong desire to connect with them and, and um, capture their way of life. And once we were there, we found out that they had traditional tattoos and that they were burying their tattoos with a lot of pride and there was so much story behind it. So only when we were in the field after a week of participating and hanging out with people, we decided to focus on that subject. So it was actually just a research trip. Uh, obviously, we shot some beautiful things, which uh, turned out to be a teaser. And when we got back out of the field, we started doing more research about um, traditional tattoos and then a whole new world opened up to us and we found a lot of articles from Lars Krutek so yeah we connected with him and he helped us big time with um, yeah with all the research telling um, all about destinations and we even met each other in Washington and we had a good flow and and he's very uh, excited about the Nagaland uh, tribe the Naga tribes in uh, in northeast india and yeah this is how we got there together and captured the episode there about empowering tattoos well that's great and speaking of lars we uh, we had the opportunity to interview him on the inking of immunity uh, on an earlier episode so 
If anyone hasn't listened to that, you should go check it out. It was a really great talk. So I know you are still in the process of finishing the documentary. And I was telling Sophie, I, I caught on to the project through social media. And I thought it was such a great way to present it kind of in real time and, and connect with an audience, uh, a more global audience that way. And this is a question I think both of you can speak to. But as tattoo researchers ourselves, uh, we're interested in engaging the public with our research uh, through non-traditional or non-academic outlets, such as social media, Instagram, things like that. So could you speak a little bit about your process for engaging your audiences on social media while you're making the documentary or, or while you're doing your other work? Yeah. I can start how Patterns of Life, actually, uh, Patterns of Life is a self-funded documentary project. We crowdfunded the whole documentary and actually we started our Instagram channel and it grew very big uh, in a short time. Um, we were actually not aware that there's such a big tattoo community uh, around the globe because we are not tattooed ourselves. Well, by that, that, by that moment, we were not tattooed ourselves. And... Yeah, then we realized that we are uh, contributing to the fundamentals of the jobs of many tattoo artists around the globe. So once we started posting our photos and stories, we realized that we had a, something very unique and we got lots of reactions from tattooists uh, along the globe who said like, thank you so much for doing this job. It's a great job. It's something we want to do, but we don't have the time for it or whatsoever. Um, so by starting posting and videos and pictures we got in a sh very short time we got lots of engagement and yeah we really feel like we have a an online tribe with these guys we have close connections and they supported us uh, in the crowdfunding project so yeah it was been very very useful for us and also in the research so first it started with showing what we had and now uh, we're doing research about different destinations and we just have to shoot a message in our stories and there's always people like connecting us to other people who know more about different destinations and whatsoever so yeah it's a perfect platform yeah if, if i look at the crowd i connect with uh they're not necessarily into the tattoo world uh but from all walks of life etc and what i notice that people really like is the behind the scenes so you get like in the end you get the storyline you get um, your research, so you have the uh, and the footage and all that. But what I I notice is that people like it that you go to what we did in the the last episode to a nomadic tribe in the desert. Uh, you sleep there, you connect. So people are like, how do you find them? You know, and 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 how does it work? And and connecting through that story to the lives of others, I think that's a huge strength in what we do. I, th I think that's great. And Sophie and I were talking earlier about how so often anthropology and I think science and academia in general gets lost in articles and books and doesn't really make its way out into the real world. So we've had the opportunity to speak to a few, quite a few tattoo researchers that are, are pretty big on social media. And it's it seems like such a great way to get your work out there and, and expose people to things that they might not otherwise be exposed to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I'm going to go back a little bit. Sophie, you mentioned uh, when working with Lars, you were uh, with the Konak uh, headhunters of Nagaland in northeastern India. So I want to ask you, what was it like uh, filming in this part of the world with these people? 
and and what did you learn there yeah well well where to start <laughs> there's a lot to unpack i know <laughs> yeah yeah it's always very special to jump into someone else's life and that they everywhere we come we got received with open arms and they are willing to share not only stories but their whole way of life where you cannot leave without having a proper dish and having a long talks with grandmother grandfather etc so what i really love about actually visiting all these destinations and people is that it's a way of a community life which is something uh, which is well at least in the netherlands a bit lost it's more based on individuality and and there it's more based on a community feeling so that was very special and entrance is very important so of course we've got we had lars who, who already did like uh, many research before and he has the right entrance uh, he connected us with Fijin and Fijin is a local lady who is reviving her culture and she knows everything about that culture and she's, she wrote many books about it so with Lars and Fijin we went into the field and with them we got entrance to very unique stories because because actually these people uh, when Christianity came they had to make a, made a vow that they can, could not believe in their old culture or in their culture anymore that they could not speak about it and that they could not practice it so it, it's always a, a gamble like what are we actually able to still capture like they still have the tattoos on their bodies but you're never sure if they really like uh, can speak about it and uh, yeah we've got to speak to a 101 year old shaman who once again wants to tell about all his old practices and his beliefs. So yeah, this is very special and yeah, mind blowing to to be able to capture. Yeah, that is that is a very special experience. Uh, yeah, indeed. Um, so and and you've you've kind of touched on it just now, and I've I've noticed kind of following the project, there's a strong focus on these themes of vanishing of traditional cultural practices, including tattooing, but many others, and also preservation. So I wanted to ask you both, uh, why do you think that these practices are vanishing? And was this always your experience in the field? And is there a desire to keep these practices alive, um, particularly among the younger generations? Yeah, I think what we notice is so far is that there is a vanishing due to modernization, for instance. So if, if it's with facial tattoos, it's hard to go to school because people might laugh at you or they have this image around it. So, so the meaning of a tattoo starts to change over time. Uh, so, so that's part of it, I think. And when it's linked to initiation rites and those things change over time, then what is the meaning of getting to the tattoo? So yes, it's, it's part of um, a change. Let's say you know, it's vanishing, but it's, it's like a changing tradition. And part of that, there is a revival also. And the revival, what I see, it has sometimes a completely different story. So there's a revival of the inking and there's a revival of the symbols, but with a different meaning attached. So in that way, yeah, there are storylines vanishing, but others popping up like everything in society. Um, and there's a sadness to it that some stories die and that this very old human symbolic language loses its meaning and therefore we lose out on worldviews which are carried through these symbols uh, to me that's a sad part yet at the same time it's it's human life 
we meander and we change. So, so yes, there's a, at least there's a change everywhere we go. Definitely. I think as humans, we're never fixed. We're dynamic and things are always changing and adapting and evolving. So I, I think that this, that this project really captures that. Yeah. And also to add to that is it's also this documentary is really to celebrate cultural diversity. So these very typical uh, cultural things like dresses or the tattooing, these things are yeah slowly uh, fading, and we think it's it's a unique piece of of history to capture and to preserve. Definitely, I I totally agree with that. And beyond creating a record of these these traditional practices, what are what are some of your other goals uh, for this project? And more specifically, maybe what do you want to accomplish for the people that you have worked with, and for the wider world in general? Yeah. Yeah, so first of all, our mission, like as soon as uh, the first series is uh, documented, we would love to bring the footage back to the people. So uh, they have their own culture captured in the yeah the most beautiful way possible. Um, because what we saw, for example, in Nagaland and actually in, in all the uh, destinations where we went is that the younger generation is not that interested yet in the stories of their grandfathers. But of course, that will come one day. And now they are still alive. We can capture the stories of, of their grandfathers and even uh, more generations uh, before. And they can, they can watch it in, a, in video and not in a boring article or a book. And, but they can really see and feel their ancestors speaking about, about how they lived back in the days. So this is the first mission, what we really like to to capture. And, and another thing is what I mentioned before is to, to make anthropolo- anthropological perspective uh, accessible to a wider audience. So when we watch maybe 80 or 90% on the television, it's all based on uh, Temptation Island and uh, Sex on the <laughs> Beach and all that. And we would love to add some, some beautiful stories t- to the library of... Uh, of international broadcasting platforms. I like that. Maybe yeah. getting away from our <laughs> obsession with reality TV and, and maybe getting into a little more reality. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And to me, if it, I totally agree. And, and adding to that is also, you know, the famous saying that anthropology helps the world to become safe for diversity. You know, like, you know, I wasn't tattooed before I entered the project. It was not something which was on top of my mind. Uh, but, you know, being a curious person, I can be, you know, start getting more curious when you know about something, you want to know more and more and more. So, and for me, what is really attractive here is that through the symbols, which everyone can relate to, if they they hate it or like it, but they can relate to it. And through that, you have an opening to see the life of people you visit. And you have almost like a vessel you can use to connect with other people in different parts of the globe and and get an understanding of the way they live and the troubles they have. But what we attempt also is to make it a little bit more universal that, yes, they have a specific situation, but parts and, and, and different patterns of that we can all relate to. So there's the universal thing of being human beings uh, with all the same questions and having different answers to that. And that's also what I, I like and find important in, in sharing those stories to different audiences. 
Well, that that's great. And and Yitzki, I'd like to get into a little more about your time hosting and and working with the show. And I'm going to ask a big question, but I'm going to try to put it in a very simple way. Uh, could you just tell us about your experience with the with the different peoples and and cultures that you worked with while filming? <laughs> Where to start? <laughs> well, um, let's let's start with the uh, what was the first uh, uh, group you visited? The Ramnami in India, in Chhattisgarh, and you see the the name of Lord Ram behind me, and that's a community, and they started tattooing in the 1900s. So it's a tradition, but not a very old tradition compared to others. But to really to make a statement and to get out of the caste system. So they were of the lowest caste and tattooing was a very important part of their identity. So, um, you know, at the main moment, there were with thousands of people living in different villages together. One of the reasons they had tattoos is a religious one that they said, well, we cannot go to the temple because we're the lowest caste, but then we make our body into a temple and, and therefore also have protection from others. So having the name of Lord Ram on your body and and at one point the younger generation said, well, that's all very fine, but we don't really want it in our face anymore. So that started fading. And the thing is, is that they used the tattoos to destigmatize themselves. And at one point the tattoos became a stigma because having the tattoos meant that you were, etc. So that was my first well, trip with the documentary. I've traveled before, but with the documentary, that was first. And to me, what I really like about the project in that sense is that we do our research, of course, a desk research. But in the field, it's still, you know, anthropological research can go on for months, as we all know, which is great. But we don't have that time in the documentary. So in the field, we really relied on, you know, what's the entry point, like Sophie explained, and then be there for two, three, maybe four weeks with the, with the research team and then make a basic script and film it. So the filming process is in like two weeks. So I like that it's like this pressure cooker where you have to find the patterns and be the anthropologist you are and dig in and find more. And at the same time, there's just so much information you can put into half an hour video. It's not an essay. It's not a book. So you have to balance that. Where do you find the detailed information and what's the main storyline you want to put forward? And as a host uh, and an anthropologist, I like that creative tension a lot. So so make sure that you, you, you address the emotional layer, that there's enough analysis in it, that there's not too much detail, but not too less. And, and to find that right balance, that's, I think, one of the the success factors of this documentary. Well, I, I would agree with that, that statement. And it's something that's, that's not easy to do, but no. you all, you all have done in my mind, a, a really good job of that. And like I was saying to Sophie before, I think the, the shots are beautiful and, and the emotion and the feeling that you experience watching it is really something that I think can connect people. Mm. Thank you. So Speaking about the tattoos in the field, I know you mentioned you weren't tattooed prior to going into the field, but after following you on Instagram, I saw that you got your first tattoo while working. I did. It's here. Yeah. And that, that is a beautiful yeah. one as well. Yeah. 
like an anthropologist, like I was observing for a long time. So when we were in Tunisia with Manel, who is a great tattoo artist, you know, we lived together for, for a month, very intense. And I thought, well, I've done the observation bit. Now step in and do the participatory bit. So, um, yeah, I got my tattoo. <laughs> and that was in Tunisia when you were you were all working with the Amazi culture, I believe. Could you speak a little bit about that uh, tradition and and some of the symbols and significance? Yeah, so the Amazigh are the first nation people actually of Northern Africa. And uh, yeah, there's there's many different meanings and stories behind these symbols. So it's not that we can say they have one fixed meaning, but the meanings and the stories we listen to are from the Tunisian ladies. Actually, when we were doing research, we read a lot about it that was made as a rite of passage for a girl to become a woman and also uh, certain forms of beautification uh, or when women got married or when they got their first period, they received certain tattoos. That's what we read. But when we uh, got into the field, uh, we got told different stories um, that could be because the stories and the cultures already uh, not that present anymore due to uh, modernization again and um, Islamization and all the stories. So when they received the tattoos when they were 14, 15, until their 20s, it were still uh, marks of to be proud of. But actually now the tattoos became haram and they became marks of shame. So that's why it was also more difficult to get the real stories behind the tattoos, but also what it, yeah, the, the meanings also changed. Now, actually, all the time they t- told us it's, it's a way of beautification. And um, yeah, the, the average age of the ladies we spoke to were around 80, 90 uh, years old. So it's, it's really the last, last generation who wear the tattoos. And the younger generations we spoke to, they were not interested to receive the tattoos. And yeah, we went to different regions. We met a nomadic family in the desert and they are more rooted in the Bedouin tribes. And these people, they really still had healing tattoos. And they believed that they had certain tattoos with healing powers. So there were two storylines going through each other. That's so interesting. And and part of our research and, and specifically my research is... I'm interested in in the therapeutic and healing potential of tattoos, not only traditional tattoos, but more contemporary ones that we see in the West, whether it's a memorialization to help someone get through a trauma or, or the grieving process. So I'm interested to know of, of what you saw or what you heard of about the healing or the magical powers of, of tattooing while in the field. Well, that, that yeah, we, we learned that so part of it was linked to bloodletting. So, so make carvings until certain juices would get out. Then afterward, make it into beautification because otherwise you have a scar and now you have a beautiful tattoo. So the tattoo itself doesn't have the healing power. The healing power is done by the making of the tattoo. And at the same time, there were stories where the symbols of a tattoo could have a symbolic meaning. Um, a magical meaning but that's a difference so so part of it is the making of the tattoo or the making of the uh, the work on the skin uh, and the different herbs 
Yeah, and again, there's different ways of healers. So we we spoke with a nomadic family and they made more like dot-likes tattoos. And we spoke to another healer, a gentleman, and he was also, uh, he had a lot of knowledge about plant medicines. So about like adding certain herbs to it and certain plants to the blood so it would heal. But uh, yeah, it was just a little bit of information that we got. They didn't run like very deep into the stories oh i my wife is actually uh, an ethnobotanist and uh and an herbalist and and we speak a lot about the uh, content of tattoo ink and and some of the the herbs that have and, and are used in tattoo ink to help not only the healing process but the therapeutic quality of of those plants and not too long ago we spoke with an acupuncturist who is developing acupuncture point specific tattooing and and he mentioned that that is used in in certain traditional chinese medicines unfortunately with our legal system here in the us and and i'm sure in europe as well the everything is tightly uh standardized and it's not easy to put uh herbs into inks and tattoo people so i think that <laughs> is a field and a topic that is really ripe to discover and and to learn about yeah. Yeah, now we speak of it. I, I remember one more thing. The tattoo artist gentleman did a certain saying which he repeated for sev- several times. He it was do you remember what he said, Jitska? Not literally, but something like uh, let's I'll, I'll get the pain out, I'll get the pain out, but then beautifully phrased. Yeah. <laughs> so I think it's in in this way it's it's a combination of an actual healing uh, practice combined with switching the uh, the mindset of people by like giving attention and doing these prayers to mm-hmm. to remove the pain yeah i think i think that is uh, as an important point because so often in uh, anthropology but other research on tattooing we tend to focus on the outcome the tattoo itself so i think that what you're saying is that we're talking about a practice and a process. It's not just about the tattoo. It's it's not just about the person wearing it. It's about the whole community and the ritual and those all together create a healing potential. Absolutely. And, and the same when it comes to getting tattoos in an initiation, right? Then yes, the tattoo is the end product, of course. But like many people explained that they didn't have a say in the type of symbol that would be the tattoo artist giving it to them. So it was more the moment and going through that experience which gave them the power. I think that's different from how we in modern life or maybe many people now think about it as aesthetics. You know, which kind of symbol do I want and what does it mean to me? It is a different meaning to the same inking. Definitely. So what I want to ask about, um, so you've, you've visited many different places and diverse cultures and peoples. But I I wondered if you could speak on some of the the through lines that you've seen in your work. Are there many similarities between these diverse practices? Yeah, if if we speak about the tattooing still, um, the similarities are almost uh, all the time it's related to rite of passage. So either from becoming a boy into a man or getting married or belonging to a certain tribe. In another way, it's a way of identification, beautification, rite of passage. These these similarities are coming back oftentimes. And also uh, the connection to the spirit world, whether it be 
ancestors, plants or animals. And and if, if it comes to the what we see, the vanishing bed, it's like the combination of young people wanting, you know, find other things beautiful. So the beautification changes over time. And then if I want to have a government job, that's what we hear, then you better not have a certain tattoo visible. So uh, that leaves out a lot of tattoos in the tattoo tradition because it's it's on spots on the face or your hands or anything. So And that's what we see all across. And there you see that the big religions, uh, Christianity, Muslim, they have a huge impact on what we feel is beautiful and desirable and linked with the spirits and you know when once the gods and the spirits change then your link to the supernatural world changes and then the portal like the symbol changes too so uh, that's definitely i think what we've seen so far in different places and how have you seen these these symbols change are the symbols themselves being changed or are they being hidden but still marked um i would say that what i've seen is yeah the symbol change but if i if i think about tunisia so the symbols don't really change that much the sense making system changes sometimes by people themselves uh, and sometimes because others give a different judgment to the same symbol and to me that's that's more saddening because then like Sophie explained, these ladies, when they were like in their, their early 20s or 14 years old, they took this, this badge of honor. They had this, this great tattoo and they were very proud of it because it made them into a woman. And then now in their old days, it suddenly is seen as bad. So now they are ashamed and they want to cover it with Savran when they die so that they can get into heaven or whatever their view is. So I'd say the symbols, yeah, they change, especially in the revival, because then people give new meaning and they start being creative with it. And and the storyline behind it changes. And you've, we've, you've touched on it earlier, um, but with, with globalization and, and modernization, we we see a lot of people moving out of these more remote areas into, into urban centers. And I think it was in one of the, the webisodes that you posted, uh, one of the the themes was this connection to the land and the balance that is represented within the tattoos and the symbols. So, do you think this is this is related? This removal from the land and the natural world and into cities. Yeah, definitely. Um, and actually, that's also a big reason. Another big reason why we are capturing patterns of life is because. Uh, the connection to yeah to nature um, is fading. Uh, yeah, people in the modern in in the cities, the kids in the city, some kids even don't know how a real chicken looks like. They just get this chicken wrapped in plastic, and yeah, because we have electricity all night long, we can just continue working all night long. Whereas these people, they still have to work in the rhythm of nature it's either low tide or high tide it's full moon or there's no moon so there's no light so it's all about this yeah going back to your roots and living with what you have and I think this is a big lesson and also maybe a desire for me that we go back a little bit so we can uh, be more cautious with yeah with modern nature 
Definitely. And I, I noticed that you credit all of your uh, indigenous partners and local collaborators uh, when you when you put out content. Um, so I was just curious about what is the role of the people whose practices you're documenting in the making of this film? Yeah, these people are obviously very important. And as I mentioned before, our aim is that the people tell the story themselves and we don't put words in their mouths or we're not the people explaining about their way of life. They are explaining their way of life. They are giving the answers. And yeah, we invest a lot of time in finding the right people and also connecting with them in the field. So yeah, how is the relation in the field? It's actually it's being very beautiful. If I look at the Amazigh, for example, for me, it was very, very beautiful to be in Tunisia and to meet all these people. But being with Manel, the tattoo artist who was with us all the time, she told us a lot about her culture, about not only the Amazigh, but how everything works in Tunisia. And, and you, you need to see it all in the bigger picture. And yeah, these people are guiding us. They are bridging these gaps. Yeah, without them, we cannot make it. Well, I, I think that is a, a beautiful way to wrap this up. But before we go, I was wondering if you could, you could tell people how they could follow you and, and follow the project and your work. Yeah, so you can follow us on Instagram, Patterns of Life Documentary. We are most active over there. And we are still in conversation with different broadcasters. So we cannot tell where it can be broadcasted yet, but we're still working on it. And hopefully in 2022, we can launch it on an international platform so you can actually watch the documentary series. Well, that, that is great. And is there anything you would like to plug, Yitzki? Ah, well, no, I think Sophie said, you know, you can, you can look me up on Instagram, Yitzke Kramer, if you figure out how to, how to write my name. <laughs> but the main thing is go and follow Patterns of Life documentary and, um, and, and be amazed with the stories we find and, and also add, because like, like we mentioned before, we really enjoy the interaction we have with the crowd on Instagram as a whole research field there. So if there's anything, you know, we uh, we should know or could know of, then, then please let us know. Exactly, yeah. We're always open to uh, investigate more about different cultures, different people, uh, tattooed cultures. So please catch up if you know something. Well, that is great. And we can't wait to see the documentary and follow Patterns of Life. Check it out. Cool. <laughs> All right. Bye, everybody. Cheers. Ciao, ciao. Thanks for listening. We're on Twitter at inking underscore immunity and on Instagram and Facebook at inking.of.immunity. The hosts of the show are Dr. Chris Lynn and Mike Smetana at the University of Alabama and Dr. Becky Owens at UK Sunderland. Kira Yancey is the production manager. Thanks to the University of Alabama Anthropology Department for helping make this show possible. You can find our full, unedited Season 2 interviews on our Facebook page or watch them happening live on Facebook. See you next time.